Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. Today, we bring to you a conversation that we had with Tiffany C. Lewis. And normally, this is the time when I would tell you everything about the guest resume and all that they've done, but I think it might be easier in Tiffany's taste to tell you what she hasn't done because Tiffany has touched on several different things in the publishing industry as well as in the creative space. She's been a novelist. She has seven books out right now. She has her own publishing company called Rebellion Lit. And now she's a podcaster. Tiffany's new podcast, Beta Reader Bits, is out right now. We discuss a little bit of everything today. We get into her writing style, what it's like to be a publisher for other authors, as well as the differences between beta reading, alpha reading, and all these different layers of editing that us authors have to think about. So without further ado, here's Tiffany. Funny enough, I think I'm following you on Twitter, and that's how I found the podcast. I shared um, the Da Vinci Code episode with my friend. I was like... They are so, and it's, it's not just like jokes as much as it's like the things that you noticed about it were funny and interesting. The Da Vinci Code episode was one of my favorite ones we've done so far because we both came from such a different background in it. And he, I mean, you can tell through our recording is like, he's not Christian and I am. And so he handed it to me. He was like, Does, <laughs> I want to see if this offends you. And I read it and I was like, I mean, it doesn't offend me because it's like clearly a fictional tale, but at the same time, the writing isn't great. <laughs> and like we, we've, <laughs> so this podcast that we started is, is about, um, we wanted to do a podcast that explores writing, like good writing. We felt like the niche, mm -hmm. the niche, the niche was the space that had not yet been yep. exploited. That, that thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, that area that had not been touched yet, we felt like there was a lot of podcasts that did writing and did screenplay and things like that, that spent most of their energy dogging really bad writing. And so we wanted to make something that tried to talk about what people did well and kind of celebrate good writing. And that one, it was interesting. We, we did not go into planning that thinking we were going to rip on it. It just kind of happened. Like we both read it and we kind of walked away feeling like it was subpar. And hopefully that doesn't become the norm. We don't want that to become the norm. We don't want to scare away people <laughs> by thinking like, right. you know, just rip into people and then be like, hey, join our show. It's going to be a fun hour for you. I promise. Um, you guys are good at roasting, but that doesn't mean it has yeah, to be your focus. That's, we're trying to walk that fine line. You you doing beta reading. Speaking of roasting, I, I've I've come across several manuscripts from writing groups and for preparing for this podcast and one of the things that i found is there there are there are different levels of writers there are people who have just started out and there are people that have been doing it for 10 15 years and there's people that you can tell they maybe don't read a lot and then they go try to write something and what is that balancing act like when you pick up something and you get 10 pages into it and you are like i can tell that the craft isn't honed in like how do you how do you go about that from a beta reader's perspective not only like throughout the rest of the novel but then how do you kind of address that with the author i guess well i'm terrible i'm i'm mean <laughs> if you ask anyone who i've read for before they're like tiffany does not hold back she doesn't sugarcoat i really don't i'm a communications major and so i really don't have time to mince words reading and making comments and all this kind of stuff takes a long time so as far as like personally how do I wade through everything it's become like a bit of a a skill because I have read some things that are like absolutely really really polished and then I've read things that are like first draft mm -hmm. material which 
for anyone listening, please do not give a beta reader a first draft. It's like a big, it's a big hurdle for them having to dig through all these very simple like plot holes that you maybe miss that are just as simple as like changing dinner to lunch because that's what you Mm -hmm. said you were having. But yeah, just I'm, I'm always really direct about it. And if I find a manuscript that doesn't need a lot of work, that's great. It's kind of like reading a book for me and I just have to, um, more so make comments on how I feel. It's like the difference between when the manuscript is really well taken care of. It's more about how I feel. I get connected to characters and I'm like, oh, you know, I love this character. Why? And then if something happens that seems a little off, I can say, hey, based on what I've learned or read about this character so far, they wouldn't do this. And so I can give this kind of feedback. On the other hand, if it's more rough, I can speak about anything from formatting because formatting affects a -hmm. reader's experience. So overuse of punctuation or, you know, formatting issues or from that level all the way back to like those character things, those plot things, setting things. So in the long run, like one just takes me longer than the other. Uh, Neither of them are like less enjoyable as a reader. I want to put that out there. Like I don't like stories less because they're Mm -hmm. less polished Cause they all stick with me, and <laughs> if the plot's mm-hmm. good, it's good. There's there that can't be denied, um, you know, regardless of how kind of rough a, a, the draft is. So, um, yeah, just like I said, it's the difference between how um, being able to just kind of talk about how I feel about a story as opposed to getting into more technical things that might improve the story. Because that's kind of what's missing when you when you haven't drafted multiple right. times the polish is is not there so that's that's where i have to leave my notes in those i feel like it's got to be you got to be a little bit um give them maybe a little bit of grace because with something that's so subjective like art two things first of all it's hard Mm -hmm. to read your own stuff and know where you've maybe messed up where you've like things that are clear to readers you read you've read it so many times and you wrote it so you might miss things small stuff but Mm -hmm. then also when you're first learning the craft it's not like say say sports like I play golf like I can hit a shot and it dribbles ten feet off the tee, whereas if I go to a PGA Tour event and I see them hit it three hundred <laughs> yards, it's obvious that like right. okay this is what I did was not good. But if you're an author and you're and you don't <laughs> read a lot or you haven't read a lot or even if you have read a lot, it's a little bit harder to to know for sure. And what I what am I doing wrong unless you're like actively going out and, and getting readers and watching. YouTube video tutorials on right. how to do it and stuff. So you do have to give them a little bit of grace because it's yeah. probably a little bit harder to figure out that your craft is bad or not. It is. And and me and a lot of um, the friends that I have in the writing community, I'm super entrenched in, in Twitter. We're constantly talking about like what we can share with people, which is how my podcast was even born. I was told by someone I read for that these tips are great. Like more people should know about what you're saying and and know these things. And I've even had people tell me, first of all, I've been so many people's first beta reader that they had like never even knew what Mm -hmm. the concept was until they met me because I'm such a proponent for it. Um, And so I'm like, Oh, if you're done, you know, let me beta read for you. And so we create these relationships this way. But for me, beta reading is like, an odd definition of grace. Like, as you're saying, like understand that they do need to learn something. Um, and they're, if they want to, they're like reaching out to me because they want to. So that's always good. But it, it it's like, 
all the tips that I can give and all the industry, like even like if I can share a link to an article that talks more about something or as many technical things as I can throw in, those are the things that like I didn't get when I first started self-publishing in 2014. Like I had a mentor, but how the knowledge has changed and how the growth has continued, you know, those are the things that we want to give. So critique partners, alpha readers, which are people who read your first draft, beta readers, um, all of them are like that key to getting that knowledge and, and, you know, really improving. Yeah. And and I feel like it's probably important to point out is you, you talked about how the, the mentor you had when you started self publishing in 2014, I feel like we started this podcast, particularly I started this podcast really hot with like, what is it like to read bad authors as if I'm not a bad writer, haven't like had horrible writing. In fact, I feel the need almost to call my own number a little bit and kind of degrade myself. I, I will tell you a funny story sure. that um, my first book that I ever wrote, I did not really have any understanding of what good writing was. And I definitely only had like one or two people review it. And then I went and tried to get it queried and got obviously every single one rejected. And I went back and read it several years later. And it, it was almost like if you've ever gone into social media and read your old private messages from like 10 years ago and you're like, what was I thinking? I, I mean, yep. it, it's funny because I, I watched a YouTube video from uh, one of those book two people that's like 15 mistakes you should never make like that obvious newbie writers make. And I did like 14 of them. It literally started out with like his sea blue eye shot open. He was late for school. Like, and I was just like, Oh my God. like, forget the, forget all of the like punctuation mistakes. Right. <laughs> just so bad. And and so I put myself in there in that category. I'm not immune from, from needing a beta reader, if you will. Um, Right. We've all been there. Yeah. That's funny. I'm actually, I have a, um, a bookish friend, as I like to call them, who um, we talk about stories all the time, like whether it's something I'm beta reading or um, an actual like published book. And I read a story, I read a book um, by a traditionally published author. And I was just, you know, kind of undone by it was it's like my same genre. It's my same character type. It's so much of of what I'm doing on my query story right. that I'm working on now. And I'm like, Oh, gosh, <laughs> I need to, you know, pay attention and get it together. And all this like this is mistakes I don't want to make. Um, and this person's traditionally published. So I'm like, Oh, man, what, yeah. what's going on? Well, my bookish friend brings me a book that she loves by the same exact author. And I didn't, she didn't realize that it was the same author. So I'm reading this book, which is seven years newer than the story that I read that I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, favor. And it's just a reminder that we continue to grow. Right. I recently took a class um, just impromptu somebody shared it on Twitter and I was like, Oh, a writing class on a specific subject. And I ended up re deleting and rewriting a whole chapter after the class was over from my query book. And that's how it goes. You know, every, every moment that we learn something new or every moment that we realize, um, that we've kind of made a writing no, no, or (laughs) however you want to call it. Um, we just move forward. And I think it kind of goes back to what you're saying about grace Like as a critiquer, I do want to give that encouragement and that offer remind us to like give ourselves grace as well. You taking that moment to think like I'm not 
you know, Shakespeare right. out here <laughs> is it's like, yeah, but also like, what are your victories? What have you done well? And what can you improve? Thinking about improvement, a lot of people don't. Um, I'm a preschool teacher by trade. So we talk a lot about improving our, our classrooms and ourselves and how can we help, you know, students um, learn more and et cetera, et cetera. So like thinking about improvement as a positive thing is something that I notice a lot of people kind of miss. So like, yeah, we want to be gentle with ourselves, but like, but I think that kind of goes to what we're learning or when we're learning. Like if you don't know something, yeah. that's okay. You, you know, you're improving. So um, that's always a plus. It's, it's a weird conundrum because as authors, especially if we want to be commercially successful, we have to be, we have to be able to set our pride aside and say that we need to grow. We need to get better, but also you have to have the self-confidence mm -hmm. to put your work out there in front of others and have this almost selfish belief that like, I'm great at this and walking the line Absolutely. and knowing when to kind of like pull on which of those strings is almost impossible for me. Like I've, oh my gosh, I've, I, I've had entire months where I'm like <laughs> firmly entrenched in one of those two camps. Right. So walk me through if, you know, if, if somebody asked you what was the difference between beta reading and alpha reading and which one is more important, because you, you're definitely focused on the beta reading aspect. What are your, what are your thoughts there? So to be, to be honest, like I want to be a beta reader cause that one's mm -hmm. more fun. Um, that one is like a, um, and I define this w in, in my podcast, but a beta reader reads a well-edited manuscript. So like, almost ready to go to like a professional editor or if uh, a self-published author is not going to use a professional editor, then it's almost mm -hmm. ready to go to Amazon. Beta readers are almost more like reviewers, but from the raw material as opposed to like that. They're, they're the step right before the editor. An alpha reader is literally a you type the end and then you send it to them. That's your buddy that's your critique partner and they're like they're able to wade through this more gritty right. first draft basically a beta reader is looking at third or fourth draft but an alpha reader is looking at a, at like a first draft and to be honest i feel like all levels of readers are super important because a critique partner is a reader also but like they start at outline level they start at like idea creation level they will talk you through how crazy that character is and can you like adjust them for this reason or another before you even put words to paper. Um, now you finished and they've probably helped you through all of that. They're probably going to act as your alpha reader. They know the story so well. And even if you have an alpha reader who is not your critique partner, so doesn't know the story well, that person is kind of a reader writer. So they know how to, they know the craft of writing. And they're probably mm -hmm. writing as well. So the feedback is a little more high level. It just helps you to prepare your manuscript then for that next level, which is beta. So, um, and then even after beta, <laughs> there's um, advanced review um, copy readers. So even they are like pivotal for, for us, like getting, get, if you're self-publishing, getting like your book read in advance and reviewed in advance is, is also great. So I want to say they're all super important, but if I could, if I have to only pick one, um, I'm definitely leaning towards beta because beta is like the closest thing you're going to get to a actual review of your book. 
while you have a chance to make changes. <laughs> um, once you put it out, then that's it, it's over, right? But they're going to get it. It's pretty crisp. Like the story's um, pretty well well edited and you know they they're going to give their opinions you've written six novels this time correct seven seven uh i think (laughs) yeah i need to update some of my my media but yeah have you ever had a beta reader come back to you and just like totally twist your world like they said something or they pointed something out and you were like oh my gosh i i i've got to do this or like (laughs) uh pointed out just maybe a plot hole or or anything like that yeah, absolutely. For the book that's out now, uh, book four in my detective series um, called She, uh, I actually had a beta reader tell me that like they hated a character. And I was really shocked. I wanted this character to be more sympathetic. And to me, that's a plot hole because I've like missed something that made this, you know, character not sympathetic and not nice and not oh, like... so hard. <laughs> That's a that's a tough one because yeah, you just like I'm look like, at oh their entirety and you're like, well, well, I mean, I can change maybe a few right. lines of dialogue. Sometimes, sometimes that's all it takes, but other times it's a lot more nuanced than that. And it's like, yeah. oh, they can't be part of that yeah. entire scene. Crap, <laughs> right? <laughs> no one likes them, so they gotta go. <laughs> yeah. So what? I mean, without getting too much into the weeds, like, what were you able to do? Like, what was the were you able to like kind of figure out what the kind of like root of that complaint was and why that, why they didn't like them? Yeah. So first of all, I checked in, which I, I always tell people, of course, if they're working with me, they can always check in with me to get more details about what I'm, what the, what in the world I'm talking about. So I checked in and it was the, the basis was dialogue. So like this particular character had their backstory like two books ago. So we kind of already know her, knew her, um, quirks and issues but she was just like too sassy for this person and in retrospect when I went back and kind of looked at it she was already causing my main character so much chaos that I was like yeah you're not also gonna be like a yeah. smart mouth <laughs> at the same time like let's get let's get a little uh let's chill a little bit so I was able to just bring her down with with some dialogue I'm immediately editing. getting flashbacks <laughs> to um Tom Cruise War of the Worlds have you ever have you seen that film? I have not. No, <laughs> me and Tom Cruise haven't gotten along in quite a while. So. Yeah, well, uh, I don't think many people have gotten along with Tom Cruise <laughs> in the last couple of years. <laughs> but uh, War of the Worlds, you know that film based off of the radio show back in the whatevers um, about like mm-hmm. the alien invasion that people at the time thought was real, and that must have been horrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, uh, his daughter. In that movie and i want to say it's dakota fanning it's a it's mm. i think it's a famous child actress and um in that movie they're hiding from the aliens and if obviously if you make a lot of noise the aliens will find you and so she's complaining the entire time that they're on the road and she's scared the entire time but then also there's like eight different times where the aliens find them just because she start starts screaming at something so you're like they're trying to make you feel sorry for this little girl who's crying the whole time but then she's directly causing all of the conflict and this is before i got into writing i just was like i hate this little girl why do i hate her and it wasn't until years later that i was like yeah do not write the daughter for war of the worlds into your novels like they can't all (laughs) they can't be the point of conflict and also be combative yeah um 
So yeah. I mean, if you're yeah, if you're gonna be That's the point of conflict, deal. you at least have to be like a fun character, you know, or spread the wealth. Well, and also like. When I think of that, I think of like character agency, but it's not exactly the same. What I can say, though, is like a personal pet peeve of mine, which is all beta reading is, by the way, is just like a reader telling you what they don't like or do like in a story about a story or or whatever. Basically, it's like all our opinion in the long run. But I can't stand when one character is like the only person that causes trouble. That's really annoying for me because it's like, A, why do you keep them around um, if you don't have to, if it's not the main character? Because there's obviously in some stories, the main character does truly create all their Mm -hmm. their own mischief. Um, It just has to be done right. Like, I, I just can't stand a person who is constantly creating drama, constantly creating issues. And I'm just like, if this was my friend group, like you would be out. This wouldn't even be a story because there has to be like a reason for at it. All. There, you have to be able to look at like the circumstances yes. and be like, well, they were kind of acting reasonable or at least within reason of like their character. Like, yes, everything has to be purposeful. Yeah. You know, the, the first thing that comes to mind is in infinity war when, uh, Peter Quill, trying to think of the actor's name chris what's his face chris pratt pratt he gets mad at thanos (laughs) because he finds out that gamora died and it's like the it's like one of the dumbest things that that any character has ever done in a marvel film like you have him beat and then you start punching him it was so dumb but at the same time they kind of got away with it because it was like i wouldn't have done this by the way i'm not like saying that was well done but if any other character had done that it would have been a thousand percent nonsensical but at least say like it's a hothead and the, mm-hmm. the he just found out the love of his mm-hmm. life died right and so like you kind of understand why right. he did that so yeah yeah that was definitely the argument when we were sitting in the theater like what is happening our mouths are open like is he really gonna yeah. do this <laughs> and as we're leaving the theater we're just like well, if it wasn't Gamora or if, yeah. you know, like trying to, you know, validate his crazy behavior. But it's one of those like if he didn't do it, there wouldn't yeah. be a story kind of things. And um, I'm not always a fan of those. I also think they wanted to. I mean, there's a lot of things structurally. I think they wanted Dan- Thanos to, you know how it is, like they probably love that scene. But then they were like, we have to make sure Thanos gets back to Earth so that he gets that stone. Mm-hmm. Like, So structurally, they they knew they had to get around it. But I also think part of it is like as somebody who writes fantasy Oftentimes, you don't. If you don't want your bad guy to get beat immediately, you want him to be like stronger mm-hmm. from like a power scale standpoint. It helps to like, it helps to basically be able to have them stand on the leg of like, oh, they didn't really get beat, yeah. right? Um, and give them. You kind of give Thanos an out that like he's still kind of badass in a way. Yeah, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, <laughs> what got you into beta reading? Because I think that us as authors, we tend to uh, again from the authors that I've spoken to, like we, we want to get our books out there and we love, and we love to read, but we maybe the community aspect sometimes can get lacking. And I'm, I'm just curious as to like when you got into beta reading and what kind of what drives you today with, with that. It was uh, always like give and take. I had like multiple friends um, in a Facebook writing group actually who beta read for me first, but we were all authors. So it was um, this family feel like back when Facebook was actually yeah. fun and nice. Wait, what do you mean? Is Facebook um, not nice anymore? We, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> this is the part of the podcast <laughs> where we share all of our uh, political opinions. No. <laughs> 
No, <laughs> basically, if you're talking about Facebook, you're definitely yeah. talking about politics, apparently. Um, ugh. Ugh. Yeah. We just, we <laughs> so just basically anyway. talked for the next 20 minutes and we edit it out afterwards now. <laughs> <laughs> I am not giving Facebook any of my personal, any of my time and energy, as I, I tell people this all the time, like, if you don't like something, don't even talk about it. Because they feed off of, like, your soul is draining. Like, let yeah. it go. <laughs> and Facebook is one of those it's, things It's for rough. Me. They're, they're dragging us back in. And now there's, like, people that are like, if you don't, like, if you don't tell me what you think, you're also wrong. And it's just like, oh, I don't even want to get started on that. Like, <laughs> I know. I know. But, you know, back then, it was, it was a big family. Uh, my publisher was in the group. Um, my first, my first book was published, um, by her and, um, tons of friends. And so we read for one another and it was, you know, super quid pro quo. And I didn't even know what it was like how a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't, I don't know what, what is beta reading and how, you know, um, but eventually I just learned the term and all of a sudden those friends were like mm -hmm. my beta readers because they were just doing the service that we now had a definition for. I stopped beta reading for quite a while because I, I got off Facebook and um, I wasn't really using Twitter as much. I was kind of like an Instagrammer and you know, all this. So once I got back really heavy on Twitter, this was when I found like the hashtag writing community and all these people, you know, were reading for me. I was reading for them. And probably like, gosh, maybe three or four years ago was when I really decided that I was going to commit to like, I am a beta reader, like literally telling people I'm a beta reader, even though I was already reading like four or five manuscripts a year easily. That's yeah. like a low, <laughs> a low for me. I mean, I read some people's whole series wow. doing this. Like people who have who have books out now, I've read like every single book in their series because I've been beta reading for them for like three years. I think the the biggest thing about it for me is part of the reason I tell people like I never ask for gifts. I never charge. I never want any monetary kind of reward for doing this. I love the volunteerism of it. I love the fact that I'm like doing yeah. someone a favor, you know. Um, and to me, it feels more pure. Like if I was like, oh, you have to pay me a hundred dollars to do this. And then I'm going to rake your story over the coals. Like, it's never going to feel as good as me just being like, Hey, I'm your friend. Um, you know, you reached out to me, I'm doing something kind for you. Like, I want you to know how, not how kind I am, <laughs> but I want you to, it, it gives an, an extra element of like, she's really not trying to hurt my feelings or she's really coming from a good place because she is volunteering like a whole month sometimes <laughs> to read and comment and like really dig in and let this person know like where the story could be improved. Um, unless somebody gives me like a super, a super manuscript, which only takes me two weeks, but still like the idea of getting that feedback to me has always been really valuable. And I want to offer that to other people in as high of a level as I can. So like every time I learn something about writing, I can then, give that to anyone who who comes to me so the volunteerism of it is is awesome to me um the camaraderie the friendship that I make with people like when you do them a favor like this they're they like you they want to <laughs> they want to talk to you and you know so I love it I I'm I'm super social with it I know tons of people I read for tons of people tons of people read for me so it's like a, a little community within itself the beta readers that I know who 
you know, I also beta yeah. read for them. So it's it's really nice. It's a good feeling. The the volunteerism and doing something for others is such a I feel like important thing that I know for a, I can speak personally on this. Like it can be easy to neglect, and it can be easy to think about your writing as like a pathway to success. Like it's about how well you how many books you sell and things like that, which is obviously for a lot of us still very important. It's not saying it shouldn't be important or can't be important, mm-hmm. but if that's the only way you define success, that is a very easy way to be very sad. <laughs> like if if your break if if your break even is I need to be making a good income off of selling my novels, like there is a high likelihood that you are going to be very sad for a long period of time. So it is helpful to like find ways that you can help others and find ways you can have community and so that you're enjoying other things in the writing community other than just like how many books you sell or how many true fans you have and things like that. Right. Oh, true fans. Oh my gosh. You just said (laughs) podcast buzzword. How many true True... fans do you have? (laughs) You know what? And that is like, yeah, no, I get that because true fans is um, the real MVP. Like that's like, (laughs) it's not necessarily about sales because if you get one, that's cool. But is that person going to follow up with your series? Are they really interested in your characters and and the way you tell stories? Yeah, um, that's 100%. a true fan. <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's. I a think I don't I'm know where exactly I heard that. I'm pretty sure it was like a Gary V video or something like that. So it yeah, <laughs> but it's true. It really is like if you just have a hundred people that you know for a fact are gonna buy and give your book a rating and like tell you how they honestly feel about it, like that's incredible. Like I mean, if you have mm-hmm. just a hundred people that read your series, assuming like maybe you have deep themes in them like are they impacted by your themes or do they learn something Uh, is it something that like they tell their friends about or they tell their kids about like i mean that's all that's all very very valid it it's the same thing we say about social media especially um in the writing community because there's kind of a mix of like am i here to advertise am i here to network or you know socialize am i here you know, mm-hmm. to meet to meet fans or whatever. And um, we always say, because we get people who are like writers lifting and doing a lot of stuff because they want to have higher numbers. But when you have 22,000 people following you and you can't get a retweet, that's when you wish you had 100, oh, yeah, 100%. true followers <laughs> who were, yeah, who were really into your content. So I get that's, yeah, the, that's everything. Man, that's life for real. I, I, I didn't get all, I didn't make a writing. So I, we, <laughs> we started the podcast. Um, and then a few months later we, we started our Twitter and then, so I'm pretty new, you know, I'm, I'm like eight months into the writer's lift thing and it is, it's nuts. Like I get it. And I, and I think there's like, yeah, I think there's good to it, <laughs> but like I had this really rude awakening early on where this account was like, writer's lifts i always follow back you know and i look at their you know how, how many people are following and all that and i follow them and then i check and i see them again and they haven't followed me back so I, then i like do the experiment i like unfollow them and follow <laughs> them back like three separate times and sure enough like every single time they didn't follow me back and and then i if you look at their feed it's like wow. yeah if you look Shady at their feed it's advertising. like a writer's lift every <laughs> hour straight up and i'm just like that seems so mm-hmm. sad like i don't I don't yep. understand, but I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you know, and, and luckily I would say a vast portion of people that I've met on Twitter, like 
they do not mean like of course they want to advertise their book but like they do not mean for that to be their end and like most mm -hmm. people are very supportive and want to do good they, they want to sell their book but they also want to meet people and stuff so luckily that is just a small portion yeah. of the writing community so yeah for sure we we definitely talk about that in my podcast because the thing about um my podcast is like for beginners it really, really is. Um, I don't like harp on that. Like, oh, if you're a beginner, because obviously I could say something that anybody may not know. But I talk about literally like, hey, if you're writing a book right now, you need to get on social media or you need like you can't ask for a beta reader mm -hmm. like your first day on Twitter. Like you can. <laughs> but if you're looking to like maybe because social media is a great place to find beta readers, especially if you're connected with a lot of authors who um, if you want that kind of feedback if you want reader reader writers then yeah but you can't just get on you can't like writers lift every single day and then think you're going to get somebody to respond to your right beta reader request like you have to be genuine so yeah it can be <laughs> we talk about that we talk about like getting on early but then i also talk about like don't worry about how slow things are growing like you don't have to force your growth in a newsletter or um, on your social media because everything like takes time. I'm like coasting at 7,000 some odd followers. And I feel so good because the people that I interact with every single day are so loving and so supportive and always checking for what yeah. I'm doing. And I'm just like, this is cool. There are, I mean, I've seen published authors that have awards and like do well in sales that have like only, you know, quote unquote, only a few thousand followers. And then there are folks who have, right. you know, I don't even want to speak to their catalog, but like they don't have that, but then they have like 40,000 <laughs> followers. Um, so it, yeah, it's not everything. right. And not only that, but let me, let me just say, um, and I think like some of the best authors and some of the best advice givers for writing will tell you, like, you don't have to have a big social media following to get published on any level. The only time I hear you might is if you're nonfiction, but I think that's because you're really mm -hmm. like living off your name as opposed to living off your story. But yeah, like publishers do not care how many followers you have. <laughs> they care about how well your story is written and the marketability of it. So that's what you get by being in a healthy social community that caters to writing. You get the advice yeah. on your writing, <laughs> not the... The numbers, the numbers do not mean anything to publishers. One, and if you're going self-publishing, it almost doesn't matter double because, um, again, if, if your following isn't genuine, then you're not going to see sales. And Amazon definitely doesn't care. They'll just publish right. you <laughs> no yeah, matter it, It's what. interesting. I've, I've seen when, when doing some of my queries, I've seen a lot of agents ask about your your Twitter account, your Instagram account. And so... I, I can't speak from like a publishing perspective about how much followers matter. I have wondered always though, like, you know, if you have a, you know, book A and book B and they're both decent and then one person has 10,000 followers, the other one doesn't have a Twitter account. Surely that's got to play a little bit of a role. Do you think I'm wrong there? I, if I'm wrong that I would love to know, I, cause I don't want to be like touting misinformation. So I've heard this, like the, what I'm saying I've heard from, editor professional editors multiple times like they don't care about your social media following fo social media following 
But in the scenario that you're posing, it is kind of like, hmm, if they could deal with somebody who's more marketable, like that person already has 10,000 followers and their book is really good. I guess the reason that I'm kind of like, mm, I'm not sure is because editors, um, you know, publishers who are in agents who are looking for books, they're not going to do that. They're not going to compare like you have 10,000 and that person doesn't like, I feel like, and this is another thing that, you know, could be correct me if I'm wrong status, but like when they're looking at your story, they're looking at your story. Like I, I just feel like it comes down to that yeah. first above all. And so if they do make it to your social media, they're going to make a choice based yeah. more heavily on your story. I have seen agents kind of similar to that. I have seen agents that say they're looking for a certain author that is, and this totally makes sense. Um, I'm not dogging it, but they're like looking for a certain author group to speak to a certain author story, like that they they want um, diversity Mm -hmm. and and things like that. And um, right. So I guess that would be the only case where I've like seen, like the agent is telling me in their bio, like that is what they're looking for. But other than that, yeah, they're literally uh, saying, but that has nothing to do with Twitter yeah. followers or something. But I will say, there, there's got to be a threshold because you know that if like Kim Kardashian came out with like the worst YA novel of all time, it would still get picked up, like no doubt. Like <laughs> it would get picked <laughs> yeah. up at the byline, right? Exactly. <laughs> like by Kim Kardashian. I don't blame them for that. Oh, okay, I mean, we'll at the it. end of the day, like they're looking yeah. for people to. I mean, they're looking to sell books, and if it's you know, and, and yeah. it can be the great story. It can be, it could be somebody that just like has, I mean, we didn't even have to be Kim Kardashian. I bet that if like the F Jerry guys wrote a novel, like they're going to get published, like, you know, <laughs> and then everybody slightly below that. Right. Yeah. With your novels, mm-hmm. you, um, you self publish them, correct? Yes. I run an imprint. And so rebellion lit is who what we publish on but i own it nice (laughs) so um some people make a a distinction there and i because i want to represent my brand like i publish other people also so it's not like oh i'm publishing books by tiffany like it's it's a rebellion lit kind of thing yeah and it's it's an adventure because when you decide to publish other people you decide to become a marketer (laughs) because that's what it's really about when you publish yourself you have to be a marketer too but no one else is relying on you to get them paid (laughs) so even though man shout out to my authors that I work with they're all so um because my thing about publishing um as a small company is like I want my authors to know a lot about the publishing world because you never know when you want to drop your own thing And the more we move forward, the more innovation is happening because people who publish stories are constantly looking for ways to get more stories or to to earn. Like you said, it's a business. They want to sell books. And that like includes Amazon. That includes like KDP. They're literally just letting anyone put out anything and they're creating um, all the time, these new, like, um, the Vela thing I'm looking into right now, the serialized stories um, that they're doing. And it, from from all appearances, it seems super cool and super, like, big and popular right now. And um, as far as I know, outside of, you know, kind of how comics or, or shorts run, nobody, no one else is doing that. I think it's, it, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. So for me, like I said, as publishing my own things, as publishing others, like knowing enough about the industry to maybe be able to just jump off and be like, I'm ready to kind of do my own thing is important to me 
on all levels. So, but I like having a publisher on my stories. <laughs> what what did you, when did you get started on that? And like, what was that process like? Because that sounds like if if somebody told me today, like, hey, the only way you're going to get your book out is if you started your own publishing company, I would be like, not going <laughs> to happen. I guess I'm a podcaster full time now. So. What was that process like? Well, it's funny because um, I guess I'll say this. Um, like when you find a book you really like or you, you see an author who's um, like, you know, they're not like Macmillan or, you know, they're not Penguin Random House or whatever. Check their their who published them, you know, and you will see you will find multiple authors who are running mm-hmm. their own imprint and it's just for them. Because when you search the imprint name, you don't find a website, you don't find news or anything because they're literally just owning the name right. of the company that they're publishing under. And so technically, it's really easy, but because because literally you just have to start a business and technically you could go sole proprietorship, which yeah. I, I won't get into all the, <laughs> the, the, the literal yeah, techniques of that. Part two of this but... podcast is just going to be us going over like... LLC law and things like that. <laughs> exactly. Novel discourse presented by LegalZoom.com. So <laughs> I want part of those, uh, those, uh, whatever monies you get from LegalZoom. <laughs> You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we decided, um, uh, my co-owner decided to do LLC which <laughs> legal zoom <laughs> no free ads, hit us though. up um so <laughs> so um we yeah we wanted to go llc because i did know at the time that i wanted to publish other people this was four or five years ago i'm sorry i don't even know my own business's anniversary because this is how crazy i've made my life well do we even know what year it is anymore is it 2021 <laughs> 2022 no. 2023 no. I, I don't know time is irrelevant now I don't know. You're right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's too many twos going on. And then it's like February also. So I'm in trouble. So yeah, going through and, and getting an LLC is like what that is. But then just deciding like, for instance, I'll, I'll say this. Since we opened, I've only published my own stories until late this year. We published a um, a poetry book this year. I released book four of my um, detective series. I'm not going to release anything else by myself at all because I want to get all this in gear. We want to do an anthology. We want to release a romance series. We want like we have people that we want to work with. And if I'm releasing my own books, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then that can't be done. So this year, like I'm prioritizing other releases and now it's very hectic in comparison right um but if you are a person who just wants to have a name own your publisher and not let it say like kdp or whatever or just have it say your own name super easy super easy to to create your imprint um what i will say is you should definitely get a logo made and make sure you put it on the back of your book <laughs> but yeah, you know like the bare minimum. It's, it's, and it's it does really seem easy. like the same thing like self-publishing mm-hmm. I mean, you can pay somebody five bucks on fiverr to just do a, a cover and then put it on you know same day throw it on amazon and like okay your book is you're done but like there's 30 mm-hmm. other things you could do to make it like actually a significantly better novel like not only not even talking about like making it marketable absolutely in sales and stuff um and so where are you guys at in the publishing are you like 
I mean, are you helping your, I guess your clientele out with like their creating marketing materials? Are you helping them with covers and, and book design? Where, where do you, where do you, where do you end and where does their work begin? <laughs> so for me, it's like whatever, whatever they want, I think is the best way to describe it. So I can do everything. They can just like give me the story and I can put it out. I can do the formatting. I can get the cover commissioned. Um, we got we got illustrations. We got awesome. you know graphic covers. We, whatever. We I know tons of people who could do any kind of thing. I have the formatting. I'm the one who does the formatting because I am so anxious. I do not want these books to look crazy yeah. when people open them. <laughs> so I'm pretty. I micromanage that for <laughs> for a hundred percent. But it's because um, I have. Um, one other person who helps me, um, Victoria, I always shout her out. She helps me with our social media managing, but she is like a rock star. So as soon as I teach her how to format, then I'll feel more comfortable um, not doing it. But on the flip side, we're like I said, we want to pick up a romance series. And so this author really wants to be involved. Cover art. She wants to be involved in the way the marketing looks. She has ideas for everything and so I'm like yes you know we're zooming every week we're gonna figure out what you want I'm gonna give you you know access to where we get you know images from or music for your for your trailers like whatever get in there pick what you want and we will make that vision work so it really depends on what the author is interested in if they want to be hands-off they can if not then it's a team sport we're all into it we love it we love having like three little faces on the Zoom, me, the author, and, <laughs> and Victoria just like chatting about the story and how we want to market it and all this kind of stuff. So that's it's so neat. cool because you, you hear horror stories of, of people that like get paid their um, advance and then it's like nothing. They, they have no control over anything after that. Like, yeah. And I, I mean, that probably happens a lot more with things like film, maybe not as much with novels, but sure. um, maybe cover. Yeah. I mean, we're not we're not that amazing yet that we could like advance someone and be like, go sit on your couch. <laughs> but, um, can we talk about that for a second? Like not to change the subject, but I totally get people like that. I am working towards being someone like that. Cause I'm working on a novel for query now. And so the idea of someone taking this baby book from me and just being like, bye, you know, <laughs> drop some money on me like I'm ready I'm finally at a point where I'm ready for that I've had so much creative freedom for so long and I'm just like you know what do I want my book in someone's hands who could potentially get me a Netflix show yeah, yeah. why not I think we're you know we're finally there so I I totally get like both ends of the spectrum I'm definitely of that group that's like right in the middle like I don't think traditionals the best thing for everyone and I don't think self is the best thing for everyone like you have to really no, what I always tell people is like, how much do you want to market? How much do you want to be a marketer? Because if you don't mind being a marketer, self-publish yeah. all the way, get your money. It's all yours. If you don't want to do marketing, <laughs> then yeah. get get your query letter ready <laughs> because that's the only way you're going to be able to avoid that. I process. mean, yeah, I'm sure that at a certain point, if you're successful as a traditional publisher or self-publisher, like I'm sure at the beginning, we all start as like, I want I mean, obviously I want the bag, but I also want to be able to do control everything. But I bet at a certain point you just become like John Grisham and mm -hmm. you're just like, 
Yeah, I'll let my ghostwriters do it. I'll. I don't care what. I don't care what the name of the book is. I don't care what's on the cover. I, I might care next year from when I, you know, three books from now. Um, but that immediately reminds me of your show about Dan about Da Vinci Code when you guys are talking about Dan Brown at one point. Yeah, like, we, this got, dude we start talking so about much like money. Tom Clancy driving around that year Sherman when the movie We go off on some huge tangents, but yeah, yeah we, we you're, you can tell there's yeah. no jealousy or animosity on our side for all these folks that write airport fiction and make like hundred million dollars but uh yeah i hey i feel it i mean for some people that is the only dream um and i i fully respect that's that's kind of like it's funny that some people feel that's not okay to like want like no i want to be you know james patterson i want to have a slew of people waiting to write behind me um but it's the same thing as a high schooler wanting to go to the nfl like that's the highest level of you know what you do what you're doing going to the NFL, um, them just being like no nah, I just want to be kind of moderately good like I just want to have fun I don't care who wants <laughs> I, th- I just yeah yeah well and if that's the case then like you're not gonna do what you that passion you're not gonna be able to do it necessarily to support yourself or you know what I mean because if you don't kind of have those lofty aspirations even mm-hmm. as a self published author like. You know, there's certain ways that you can, I've seen, I actually know (laughs) quite a few self-published authors who earn their living. And it's like, it is possible if you have the same aspirations and the same drive and determination as that high school kid who wants to go to the NFL. It's it's the same thing. Yeah. And I I think there used to be this, uh, it used to be a little bit of a stigma around like chasing money essentially. And, And even as I say that, that I sounds like I'm adding the connotation to it that it's bad. Like, but I remember, I mean, you talk about the NFL. That's a great example is 15 years ago, athletes were kind of expected to like just wait in line, you know, take whatever deal the team gave them and move along. And, but now like TUC players starting to hold out Right. And the first player, I don't remember the first player that held out mm-hmm. and it was a big deal. I think it was probably a running back because they have a really short shelf life, but essentially they hold out, everybody gets mad at them. And now five, you know, five years later, everybody understands it they're like no like this is your life like you need to look out for yourself like get do what you can to get the money while you can it's i don't think and and us creatives uh, myself included it's sometimes it can be easy to look at somebody's work or maybe an adaptation of their work and just be like wow they really quote unquote sold out but i mean Come on, if Netflix comes up to you and is like, <laughs> we're going to turn your book into, you know, a miniseries and here's two million bucks or whatever. And even if you know it's going to be garbage, you're like, I'm down. No? Like, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> like there and there might be some people who on it like genuinely don't yeah. feel that way. Um, probably a lot of people that don't genuinely feel that way. But um, oh, yeah, I, I guess I reside in the middle sure. ground. Like, give me you can just give me one million dollars. But like I get creative control over the show, like that's where I said, like I want, I want, I want my cake and eat it. Yeah, give me a job, also, right? Like I want to executive produce this. Yeah, it's funny. Um, me and my my book bestie were talking about Stephen King today because we um we read a review for a book and somebody pointed out that the author misquoted the way Jack Torrance died in The Shining, and we our faces dropped. Like we were like, oh my, an author quoting like a Stephen King character and doesn't don't know like the true, the difference between how yeah. he died in the movie and how he died in the book. And we're like, Oh my, this is like a cardinal sin. Like you just can't like shout out a character or talk about 
a story and like be wrong. You're an author. Like read it or don't. Did he, talk he, about did he it. say this verbally or in his book? In the story. And so I don't okay. know if. Yeah, that is bad. Yeah, I, <laughs> that was published. So I was telling her like, well, if the, <laughs> if the character said that, then maybe it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. Um, but we don't know the content. I just saw this in a review. But when we started talking about Stephen King, he's like the number one person that I think about when we're talking about this, like um, getting your your book into a movie or, or a show. And the endings are always crazy. And we're always like, oh, my gosh, they ruined they messed up the ending or the, this ending was better or blah, blah, blah. And he does not care. Like the the moments when he truly cares, yeah. I think we see those because he does. He has the flex to be like. Nope, for this one, I want it to be X, Y, and Z. He executive produces this and that and, and whatever. So when we are all Stephen King, then, you know, that's how we roll. But when you're getting your foot in and this is your first book adaptation and people are going to literally, some people are going to learn about you for the very first time ever by seeing this show, you are going to let it ride. You're not, you're not going to, yeah. you know, hold out. You're going to be like, yeah, because it's 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 the opening door to the rest of your career, because those who find right. out that it was a book, they're going to try to read read that book or they're going to be interested, you know. Um, so, I, yeah, I get it on 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 both levels, like you were saying, like it's <laughs> it's a situation where if you were in it, <laughs> you might, you know. You might just be like, yeah, give me the two mil. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a he he's has the hindsight of having such a large catalog and he writes books. True. He writes massive books significantly faster than most of us write. He's mm-hmm. written it's in the is it in the sixties now? He's written like a lot of books. It, you know. And uh I wonder if at a certain point he views each individual book sign with ex- with significantly less regard than like you or I have you are books like if you've written two novels that you feel really good about like this is ready to be queried or whatever you know Mm -hmm. or one novel that you're like this is worthy of being published i'm not talking about your first manuscripts the one that i was referring to at the beginning of the episode talking about like the ones that you're like this is good i I can give this to anybody and hope they enjoy it um i wonder if like your risk threshold of like i i can give this to somebody and let them do with it what they want versus like if you've written 50 of them like Mm-hmm. Surely at a certain point you're like, oh, this, that's just that one yeah. book that I wrote 10 years ago. Who cares? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also like, and I think any author can agree with the fact that some stories, if you are able to write more than one, because truly some people um, need a lot of time to finish a book, but you do have a favorite. Like you do have maybe one that you're like this story, or even if you just have concepts in your head, like you're like, oh, that's the one that I think about the most, or I love the most, I have the most ideas for. And so I think for him, maybe, yeah, like I wrote that story and I enjoyed it at the time, but now again, I <laughs> I could care less. But when it comes to X, Y, and Z, these projects that he has more of his hand in, like maybe those were his baby. Maybe he was the most passionate about those. I think I think something can can kind of be said about that. Because um, a lot of creatives are like that, where they're just like, this is the one. This is the one that I want to take the most care of. Um, and they follow it all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking a little bit about authors with these big catalogs, and they just like, maybe you don't seem to care. Like I was, another one that came up, and just, I'm, I'm going all in on airport fiction today, is um, my dad reads some <laughs> of those kind of things. And he was talking about how he stopped reading James Patterson a few years ago, because James Patterson had just like done like yeah 
all of his books now are like linear and they have no real conclusion, no character growth. And they're just like, it's, it, it feels like he just writes for 350 pages and then just stops. And he's like, all right, next one. That is so many pages just to not care. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the lack of care. Cause like, to me, I'm, I'm sweating over how this book ends and how each main character, like if you have more than 40 lines of dialogue, like I want to, I want to care about what happens to you. Right. And I think that mm-hmm. if at a certain point, you know, and it's not just the really popular authors. I see authors on Twitter that will write, they'll be like, I've published 35 novels. And I'm like, how much care are you putting into those? And I, and, and maybe they, maybe they're fantastic. I don't want to judge, mm-hmm. but there's part of me that thinks how can, how many revisions are done? How much thought is going into it? If you're publishing a book every six months, um, Mm-hmm. Now, I want to speak on this because as a beta reader, I have a little bit of experience with this because I have, like I said, I've read some people's series, ser- series, yeah. <laughs> series um, from beginning to end um, as a beta reader within three years. So if I've read like yeah. six books by that person, um, I personally write pretty fast before even learning about NaNoWriMo. I wrote wow. a novel in a in a month and I'm talking like five 50,000. Yeah. I'm not talking about 80. <laughs> and so um, once I started to do nano, then it was like, oh man, the sky's the limit on this. So I have like a nice amount of manuscripts, not even touched as far as editing, but just like done. Um, and so I get the idea of being prolific in that way, like really being able to like write very fast, um, being so for me, it is literally not, I won't say that I'm like fully entranced by my own story, but just the firm desire to write and write and write the story. And I'm also um, a plotter. So I pretty much know my story from beginning to end. So getting the story actually done is like one thing. Um, The book that I have out now, I finished it in 2017. And so it is just out now and not because I've been editing, editing for these many years but because all that I'm doing to get ready for the book before it and this book and all has taken me you know two years and so the pacing like for myself I can't speak for other people but the pacing for me is very specific and I've like tailored it to that other people however have not (laughs) and you can truly tell by what they're giving out because like again we don't really know what their process is like they may have wrote all these stories at once a long time ago or whatever. But in the long run, yeah. it can't be junk. <laughs> I think like no matter, I mean, if you can edit it in four days and it's really, really good, that's cool. But it's all just about mm-hmm. that tender love and care. I think that's what we want to see no matter, no matter what. Which is why I always suggest people to use beta readers. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let you off that hook that easily. I, I, that that's a great time to like in the podcast. But I did want to. You talked about uh, pacing, so I was mm. like, ooh, one of my favorite topics. Uh, you're writing. Um, I want to give you a chance to to plug your latest book because you're you're writing. Um, it's like it's it's crime thriller fiction, correct? And because that that is I love that genre because I love the pacing and I love that it's the ultimate page turner genre in my opinion. Yeah. I, it's my favorite. I definitely, I mean, we started with like, um, gosh, what's this, what's the show where the women are all the killers (laughs) on oxygen snapped. (laughs) Me and my family started on this. My mom and me were like diehard 
fans of like this true crime stuff. And so um, I segued into Walter Mosley and went um, to Tess Garretson from there, Rizzoli and Isles. And yes, I read James Patterson, almost every single Alex Cross book, but I, I had to pull back after a while too. Um, but yeah, pacing and the way my story specifically, because they're really character driven. Like I call the series after my main character, the Michael Taylor series. And so I think my books end up being formulaic in a way. This is the way I plan them. I want them to be like part his character. What is he doing, you know, outside of work and um, love interests. And um, I always follow the killer. Um, There's always chapters where the killer is like doing his evil thing and then he has uh, a partner and what's his life kind of like and it's just the the book that um, is out now like I said is called She and I think if I could describe the pace it would definitely be like frantic because a lot of the characters are young adults (laughs) and so like getting helping to people readers to feel that chaos of their life required so much going like they're going they're going they're going to school they're going home they're going to hang out there you know and so it's it's a lot more and then like michael my detective he's just like at work (laughs) so while he's like and um one thing about my stories um i write office time like i know what you're talking about when you're saying those thrillers they're like always out they're running around they're interviewing but um in order for me to help connect people to Michael more. I like to give office time. Him and his partner sit right near each other. His partner's kind of aggravating. And then all of a sudden you're like chasing 18 year olds. (laughs) It's like the wire. The wire does that great where it's like, they'll spend half the The time out, you know, doing the patrol. (laughs) Great. Yeah. And and then like, and then the other half of the time they're like talking about what they need to talk about, you know, in a natural meeting point, if you will. Yeah. Speaking of the wire, um, loved you guys' episode on Remember the Titans and Wood Harris was in The Wire. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. I, did, I didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh man, there were a ton of very, uh, very famous people in <laughs> Remember the Titans. <laughs> we we did actually to, total uh, off the reservation, but the other day I, me and my wife watched um, or rewatched Ant-Man hmm. and one of the cops that has like two lines in that movie is... Julius yes, from Wood Harris. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, where is? Oh, th- is that him? You're yes, talking Wood about? Harris. Yeah, he's Wood in the Harris. wire. He, yeah. yeah, yeah. It took me the entire movie, and then like one of the last. Who scenes, is I was this like, guy? Oh my god, I know him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm one of those people who every time I watch a movie, I immediately go on to Wikipedia and just look up everything about everybody okay. involved. In I action. have the IMDb app on my phone. This is why I love your podcast because I'm like, oh my gosh, they're talking about movies in a way that like makes me think about, first of all, you guys, the way you offer the information about the movie or the real people like th- that episode. I love the Da Vinci Code when it was so funny, but the Remember the Titans one, I love that you guys like address the history and how. It wasn't entirely. Isn't that interesting? I was like, these people are frauds. <laughs> like, not quite, but like, they were the only. They were the only uh, s- school that was that was yeah. not desegregated. They were the yeah. only segregated school. The last one waiting get. around, and you're just like, how do you get a movie? If I'm any other school in their district, I'm like, really? They get the movie? Like, they they were the holdouts. Like, Seriously. come on. Yeah. So I appreciated so. that about the show because I know 
this, but it's still like such a great movie, and the actors are yeah, it's phenomenal. I, I'm, but, I'm, um, yeah. you know, and like it, look, if you're doing like a story based <laughs> off a real, a real, or if you're doing a movie based off a true story, like you're gonna have to take some liberties to make it like perfect for a film because that's a very unique like style mm-hmm. of storytelling and things. Um, even if you're just tweaking mm-hmm. the dialogue and like maybe changing the order in which things happen, so. I give them a lot of grace in that mm-hmm. regard, but it is funny that like they said based <laughs> off a true story and one of the only things that was real was like the name of the high school. Pretty much. Like <laughs> Isn't this our life right now though? There's so many movies and stories that are like based on this and based on that and I'm just like, All right, so this is gonna be totally different, in other words. Um yeah. but yeah, it's it's again, it's hold up and then correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that a Disney was. movie? Remember yep. the Titans? Okay, well, y'all didn't talk about that at all, which I was like, I'm waiting for them to bring up this Disney aspect because yeah. that that makes us say a lot of things. But um, yeah, a lot of the based on this and based on that that we're kind of getting nowadays. It's funny because I appreciate it as an author because otherwise we don't our stories aren't turned into movies like uh, the you know, the movie has to be based on what we wrote. Um, but at the same time, there's that argument as a watcher. Sorry, my dog is here. He was doing so good. Now he—I don't know if you can hear him. Oh, it's it's, his it's little five collar. nineteen your time. That means it's dinner time. He's like, "Mom, what's the holdup? <laughs> Come on, let's go." I know. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that they take from um, literature so much because it gives authors that additional. Um, you know, like I said, it's like if somebody sees a show of your book, then you're in there. But at the same time, like, I really wish they would consider the joy that we got out of the book and try to, as often as possible, put that into their movie or their show. Sure. But we are often very sad <laughs> and disappointed by that. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah, you could do an entire <laughs> episode on just, like, really bad adaptations, um, which we do. We, we're going to yeah. next week, we're going to release an episode on... Um, best screenplays of the 90s but that just gave me a great idea we should do a draft for like the worst adaptations like going off the reservation and then like that in a in a bad way like did not improve the story can i make my vote for the the only the movie that i thought was just as good if not better than the story yes okay i hope that you agree with me on that i really do because i tell people this all the time silence of the lambs well, well, that'll be it for our today's, this so... today's episode. Uh, we appreciate you guys for joining. No. <laughs> no. I thought the movie was so no, good. I, I really 100% did. 100% agree. In fact, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to not give too much of a spoiler. Silence of the Lambs definitely gets chosen in our draft as one of the... So there's three <laughs> of us doing the draft. We each get to pick five. So it made our top 15, as it should have, right? It's not too much of a surprise. But mm-hmm. um, yeah phenomenal film obviously uh really crazy crazy film um and i you kind of forget how crazy it is if you haven't watched it in a while like it's very dark well and then like thomas harris quickly became like the prototype for some of the things that i wanted to start including in my writing when i first read because man that guy can i don't know the magic of tom thomas harris how he can write dialogue that has absolutely no dialogue tags and I still feel like I know exactly what's going on the whole mm-hmm. time. Like when he uses narration, everything that I need is right there. And then all of a sudden Hannibal Lecter and Clary start to talk like the scene. Um, 
I'll I'll save it. If you haven't if you haven't seen Silence of the Lamb, you need to see yeah. it right away. I can't even I can't even give yeah spoilers, mute for the but... next twenty seconds if you haven't seen it. All right, you can go ahead. <laughs> I'll just say when everyone knows that Clarice and Hannibal Lecter talk in the movie, but um, in the novel when they are talking, I'm telling you, it's like this. There's no absolutely no um, interruptions yeah. in what they're yeah. saying. And it is crisp and it feels good and I'm immersed and I'm like, how, how is he doing that? Um, and so I've really adapted it into my own writing. Like I try not to use a lot of dialogue tags. I try not to interrupt um, the flow of a conversation because readers, I mean, their imaginations are so amazing. I give them so much credit for like really creating our worlds from what we give them. And it's like, they can see your characters Mm -hmm. and they may even be thinking of those nuanced movements of like messing with your hair or crossing your legs over, you know, back over one or the other. Um, We don't have to just blow them away with that kind of stuff. Like they can feel it. And that's what I took from Thomas Harrison from silence of the lambs. It was just like a masterclass in dialogue. Yeah. That's the the first person that you uh, reminded me of. I had to double check, make sure I had it right. But uh, Elmore Leonard, same thing like guy wrote get shorty mm. is he'll have mm-hmm. entire scene he'll have mm. scenes where there's three or four people talking and they there won't be any dialogue tags and it'll just be like two pages straight of dialogue but you can buy by the characters like who would say what you can tell who's saying mm-hmm. what it's very yes. well done it's very it's nice amazing yeah. amazing i love it and for me like one thing that I tell authors a lot when I beta read, if we want to, we're bringing it back around yep. to that, is that being brief, being concise and clear is so lovely for readers. Mm-hmm. Like, really, you just want your story to float into their mind like molecules. You don't want all these interruptions. You don't want all this trying to figure out what's going on. You just want everything to just like materialize into into your readers brains and so whenever you can eliminate something like a dialogue tag whenever you can eliminate long-windedness like it's actually really good and it gives you words for other things like barry said is two words that you could put somewhere else you know something that's more descriptive or feeds our sensory um you know receptors not <laughs> barry said like okay i know it's barry because he's talking to jim um <laughs> This is how I get feedback. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that, you know, that's, that's really how I feel about it. So being concise and all that is like a huge tip that I give people all the time. And um, I'm always so in awe when, when authors are able to, to really do that. And I'm so amazed that our brain that we can just like still see and understand what's going on, despite only having those two voices or those, those few voices in our mind as we're reading. 100%. Beta Reader Bits, out now. Episode 1 out now. I, I listened to it, and it's great. I, I almost feel silly that I was like, hey, if you if you want any uh, tips and tricks, let me know. And then I read yours, and your production is amazing. And it's like, <laughs> I need, I need, we need to reverse this. I need to ask you for help. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you made it to the end, you would know that my producer is Jort Campbell. He's amazing. He's um, I listen to his podcast, and it's a sci-fi story podcast so interesting so imaginative and i occasionally record voices for his show um man and he has so many tips he literally will just (laughs) message me and say 
uh, you're having an interview in a couple of days. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, talk to my friend and it's just my friend, you know, we're going to have fun, whatever. And he's like, okay, well you tell your friend duh, 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 and he gives me this long list of like all these awesome tips and make sure that they have their mouth close to their microphone. This is what he always tells me and make sure, you know, have water. And <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is what I need. I'm, I'm a complete newbie. Um, but it's been such a blast. Like some people have an issue, like they don't, like to share pictures of themselves or they don't like to do videos. Like my voice has always been something that I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't really care for my voice, but working with quality device and having a topic that I'm passionate about, I'm just like, you know what? I don't care what I sound like, but it sounds great. So I'm really happy with, with how no, I think you're, I out. think your presentation's awesome. I, I would like, 10 seconds in, I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Who is this? <laughs> so I thought, I thought it was great. I was, Highly jealous. Thank it sounded you. like a Wondery podcast. It was like super well produced. So, um, yeah. hey, it's because I tell you what, man, I I have some anxiety, and so everything I do is really heavily planned because it just helps me to feel more confident about what I'm doing. So we talked for months about you know what we're gonna do, and um, there's this started as a book series, by mm. the way, where I give tips that I've given people in the past. And so technically I had the first book for this. The first season is kind of like based on that book, but it's just a um, extension of what I, what I have in the books, which are pretty short, probably a little less than 90 pages each. Um, So yeah, it's like, again, something that I know so much about, I've talked a million times. So it's a lot easy. I think it's easier when (laughs) you are like so well-versed in saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Well, spreading it out to different mediums is always a good a good way to get more people, more eyes on it. So that's the way to go. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining. It's been amazing. Why don't you tell uh, people where they can find your stuff? Um, Amazon, search my name, Tiffany Christina Lewis. Yes, you have to use my whole name. I have a very common name. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany Christina Lewis on Amazon. Um, you will find my crime fiction as well as my women's lit title, um, which is Helpless. If you're looking searching through all the crime fiction um helpless is my women's lit um short story collection and then my beta bits books are there my podcast is wherever you love your podcast um beta reader bits episodes are every tuesday um i'm on twitter at uh author tc lewis and that's pretty much it websites and stuff but you'll find them you'll find them in a roundabout sort of way and i'll put all that stuff in the show notes and everything well once again Tiffany, thank you so much for joining. It's been a blast, and uh, we'll have to do it again some other yes, time. Yes, absolutely. I am so looking forward to not just this show that I'm going to be on by you guys, but like all of your shows. I'm really, really enjoying your podcast. Thank you so thank much you for having it. me. Hey, I got a true fan. Yeah, that's sick. <laughs> At least, At least one. one. You and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it always? I yeah, love it. Moms are the best. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Wow.